Computer, initialize Holosuite. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Random Trek Review, the podcast where we analyze, discuss, and review randomly selected Star Trek episodes. My name is Andrew, and I'll be joined shortly by my good friend Matt, who he's just finishing up a uh, podcast exchange over at a My Little Pony podcast, yet he looks like he is just beating in now. Uh, hey, welcome, Matt. How's it going? Oh, not too bad. I uh, thoroughly enjoyed my uh, my time. I'm quite surprised to learn that they have uh, quite a sense of humor over at the My Little Pony uh, podcast that I was uh, exchange uh, participating in with the exchange program. So uh, if uh, if later on in uh, RTR you get like a six year old uh, kid talking Star Trek, uh, that's the reason. We'll be uh, completing our exchange. I mean, I guess we'll have to uh, we'll have to kind of dig into this episode and, and and talk about that kind of part because yes, usually an exchange is a one for one kind of scenario. So next next animated series episode, we'll bring in the the, the six year old. <laughs> yes, exactly for the cartoon uh, the cartoon expert as you were. So we are looking at a matter of honor, and uh, I guess uh, let's jump right into it. Uh, this is uh, one that I think that I was kind of way off on. Obviously, with the word honor in there, I thought this was going to be kind of wharf heavy. And uh, I thought that it was going to be kind of more based around that particular character. But uh, I guess I must have done a little bit of a switcheroo here. So why don't you give me a score out of five job exchanges? Well, I think you maybe thought this was one or both of Reunion or Sins of the Father. Because you kind of describe, like those two episodes are pretty similar um, one is kind of a sequel to the other, so they're they're very similar, and you pre- describe those ones pretty well. But um, unfortunately, this is matter of honor or a matter of honor. Um, you, you know, you talked about it being a wharf episode, and that there was some some of his backstory, and also um, you know introduction to his human parents, and the fact that he um, you know had a kind of weird relationship with his with his father, and he was dishonored. And then you also talked about uh, some of the other Klingons being introduced that we see a little bit, but not sort of into Deep Space Nine era. And then you mentioned that Picard and Riker and the rest of the crew kind of come to his rescue. And uh, not really uh, much of that happened here in a matter of honor, but there were a lot of Klingons involved. So um, I'm going to give you uh, that point. Um, but unfortunately, otherwise, this is another classic sort of switcheroo ep- uh, recall. So, um, but uh, you will end up with uh, a switcheroo score of uh, one out of five job exchanges, which is, I guess, better than zero, which is typically what happens when we have a switcheroo. So, um, one out of five. All right. Well, I mean, I guess uh, maybe that'll be my dream job that I exchange into if I'm lucky. So, uh, I guess uh, I'll have to like cross my fingers. Um, yeah, there are actually quite a few episodes with the word honor in it. I kind of had done a little bit of digging. There was also Code of Honor from the first Yeesh. season. That was the one Yeesh. with, uh, oh, yeah. Awful. And um, obviously lots of times that the Klingons pop up, we get honor. So, I mean, kind of a tricky one. I also really, truly did feel, I'm not sure if I, I I'm going to maybe kind of blame the uh, hairstylist for my mistake here because I feel like Riker looks a lot different in this episode than I remember him looking in season two. For whatever reason, in my mind, I just had a vision of Riker with the beard on the Klingon ship. And it just in my I just felt like it was like season five or six. Like it looks like season five, six Riker. And uh, even when I watched this one, I was like, man, this just doesn't feel like this early on. And uh I think that maybe it's the dark light or maybe it's my memory or maybe it's kind of like that little coffee hair that they gave Jonathan Frakes. But yeah, it just didn't feel like a season two episode at all to me. So I know that's kind of getting a little bit uh, whiny, complainy, but yeah, this was a little surprising to get this one this early. So this is actually back on uh, February the 6th, 1989. Oh my goodness gracious. It's the eighth episode of the second season. 
Uh, we've got a bunch of guest stars, including uh, John Putch as Menden, Christopher Collins as Cargan, Brian Thompson's as Clegg, Cole Meany, some random unknown guy as Miles O'Brien, Peter Perro as a tactic officer, and Laura Drake as Vecma. It was written by Berman Amos, or at least the teleplay was done by him, and it was directed by Rob Bowman. Now, if you accidentally went and watched the wrong episode, I'll just give you a quick little synopsis of what happened here, and then uh, you'll be all caught right up. Starfleet is in the midst of its annual employee exchange program when an interesting opportunity arises to have an Enterprise crew member exchange onto a Klingon ship. Surprisingly, Commander William T. Riker volunteers for position, knowing that he would go down in the record books as the first human to serve on a Klingon bird of prey. The arrangements are made, and Riker struggles to fit in among the Klingon crew, especially since he keeps his rank as first officer. Things finally start to go well when a mysterious bacteria is found and rouses the suspicions of the Klingons. Believing it to be an attack, they race off to destroy the Enterprise. Riker does some quick thinking and takes command of the Klingon ship at the last moment, and we're all left knowing a little bit more about how the other half lives. All right, so uh, let's just uh, take a quick overall impression. Matt, did you fall into the same category as me where you were surprised that this one was so early on, or did you have like a very clear memory of that... Uh, you know, super tight suits, and uh, this is, you know, this was this would have been, like, right in your wheelhouse if you had picked it. Here's the thing about being early. I knew, I, I, always, I knew that this was pretty early on, like, the first couple seasons, and the reason I knew that is because there's a clip from this episode where Riker, like, beats the, like, at the very beginning when he whoops Clag and, like, kind of throws him into that control panel and there's the big spark. There's a clip from that in Shades of Grey oh. that has always kind of stuck with me. So I know that that one is, this episode is from early on because of that clip. Interesting. Yeah, so I, I knew, when I drew it out of the hat, I thought it was this one, but I wasn't 100% sure. I probably, if I had gotten it, I probably would have tried to describe this episode. But I would have totally forgotten about the B story. I totally forgot about the whole, like, Mordok, Mendon thing and the bacteria. I just remember the... You know, Riker going on the Klingon ship and all the shenanigans that ensued. But yeah, this is one that does kind of stick out to me because it is kind of unusual having Riker go on to a Klingon ship. So it sticks out to me for that reason. Yeah, I mean, I definitely remember the episode. I just kind of got jumbled up. And I mean, I guess it's one of those classic things. If it was an episode from the first season where there was no beard at all, then I feel like it would be easy as could be. But in this one, yeah, he just looks a bit older and... I mean, we'll kind of talk about his character because his, his character is slightly different than I kind of, I don't know, from I kind of remember. But I mean, anyway, this whole exchange program is is, is definitely an interesting idea. Uh, when I was kind of doing some background research on it, I definitely found a lot of quotes and bits and pieces where uh, everybody was talking about how it was such a good idea and how, uh, you know, as soon as this idea came up, then they, they had to do it. Uh, now, I had to kind of strain myself a little bit. Um, do you have any memory of them doing it again? Just as like a little kind of uh, trivia piece for you. Um, is this the only time we see the employer, employee strain, uh, exchange program? Or do you have memories of uh, other times where it happened? Well, I kind of cheated and I actually looked ah, okay. to see if there were other instances. I know that there was that one episode where Worf's brother... Uh, participates and he ends up on the Enterprise in a very transparent attempt to like just have an excuse to put Kern on the ship because they wanted Worf and Kern to be to sort of be together so they could like talk about retaking their family's honor and it was very transparent <laughs> it was very obvious that they just sort of use that as a convenient excuse to have Kern on the Enterprise and then I think uh, that episode the drumhead with that Klingon um, medical officer Jadan. I don't know if that was part of the exchange program or not. I feel like it must have been because what other reason would he have for being there? Very good. Yeah, th those were those were the couple that I had kind of uh, dug up myself as well. So um, in my mind, I kind of felt like I couldn't really recall when this had happened again. But you're right. They, they, they have gone to this well a couple of times. Now, those are both, um, you know, enter or sorry, next generation examples. Do you have any recollection of them ever doing this in another series, like maybe on the station or, um, you know, maybe back in 
Enterprise days or something? Not that I can think of, no. And certainly, I mean, Voyager wouldn't have done it because they're... Well, yeah, there'd be nobody to know. trade with. <laughs> yeah, but. like, what, are we going to have a, a Kazon, uh, Kazon uh, officer on our ship? What could go on? <laughs> could make for good television. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I can't think of any examples from DS9 or, or from Enterprise where they, where they did this. So I, I think that, that, I think it may strictly be a next generation thing. Yeah, and maybe it's just one of those things where, like, it's the capital ship, so it's going to be used as, like, all the bureaucratic uh, things where they have Captain Picard Day and all these little things are, are only kind of saved for the, for the big-time ships. They're not going to do it on a station where they're in the midst of a war or something. So, um, anyway, I, I wouldn't mind seeing this idea come up again. It is kind of cool, and I, I do like how, you know, you have to kind of put yourself out there a little bit to go on this exchange program or to receive somebody. Because like you mentioned in the drumhead, it ended up that the person only was interested because they were looking for nefarious things. So I think that's kind of cool. Another kind of interesting little thing about the background is, is that there was a cut scene. And I don't know exactly how far they had gotten, but apparently they had done some mock-ups, some uh, images, and um, maybe even started to build it and then they decided to scrap it but um, essentially it was a scene from the Klingon engine slash engineering room and I thought oh that's kind of cool and then I started thinking about it and I was like hmm when how often do we ever really see Klingon engineering and I mean I started scratching my head and maybe I'm just kind of too early in the morning or something I was like have, I, have we ever seen that do you have any memory of Klingon engine room being seen in an episode of something or one of the movies, perhaps. That's kind of the spot where I thought maybe we'd seen it. Yeah, the closest I think we would have come was Star Trek IV. Um, I don't know if we actually do see the engine room or not. I mean, we see the cargo bay when they're in that scene where Scotty's like, okay, yeah, we can like put a piece of plexiglass in here and uh, we'll keep the whales there. And there is that scene where he was talking about the dilithium crystals and how they had to recrystallize them or whatever in order to return to their own time. But I don't know if that was actually the engine room or not. Yeah, I was thinking the same kind of thing. I was thinking that it might be that we just have never actually seen it, which would be kind of cool. And then if they had done it here, it would have obviously been... A situation where that would be the first time we would have ever seen it maybe the only time so kind of a cool little thing um also i don't know that it's ever been explicitly said like in shown in the shows that you know the engine room would have the same layout and the same look as like what the federation has right with the warp core uh as the main piece and then everything around it um so I'm, i was kind of curious to to wonder you know what 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 would the klingon version look like who knows? It could be completely different. It could be the engine core is like vertical or horizontal. Ooh, yes. Hey, that, Who knows? That's exactly <laughs> probably the idea that they would come up with too. It would be like, you know what? It's going to be diagonal instead. It would be dark and foreboding in any <laughs> You know, With a lot of be. red lights. Yes, exactly. Most certainly that was, would be the case. Uh, let's jump into this one because uh, there's not a ton of background information, but there is kind of a lot of really good character beats and, and a lot of good um, uh, stuff to talk about. With the teaser here, um, we get... I, I know I've talked about it and, and people who are longtime listeners of the show will probably just roll their eyes and have to suffer through it again. But man, do I ever love all this kind of like technical military uh, order barking uh, that starts off the episode. It doesn't have anything to do with anything. Um, it is completely superfluous and it's just really, I guess, maybe to establish that, you know, like Riker can make stern decisions and, and calls and stuff but this docking scene to start off the episode is really good excuse me really good and uh i just love all this kind of stuff you must have loved in like star trek 6 where they're like you know leaving the space dock and there's some of that yes. kind of stuff <laughs> yes i do love it <laughs> but we go even a step further here because we also get like you know mr data the bridge is yours, uh, Mr. Crusher. You're you're with me. Like it's just you get a lot of those, like you know, like you just get that feeling, right? Like Riker, he's in command. He knows what's going. He's he's making the calls, you know. And and it's like a lot of just junk, right? Uh, turn to B three Alpha six degrees. Like it's all just made up nonsense. But 
for whatever reason, it's just something that I, I really like, and I, I can't really put my finger on why, but I, I just love that kind of stuff. Well, it gives you a sense of, like, the precision necessary to fly a starship and dock it on a space station and all that sort of stuff. And, I mean, you, yeah, it, it, it has to be done precisely or else you're going to, you know, screw things up, so true maybe that's why i like it i don't know if it necessarily adds realism but i think it sort of gives you a sense of like you know what what they have to what what level of precision they need to have that's that you know what that's a good point that i never had really thought about i also just love the chain of command which is something that comes up a little bit in this episode but i i just think that it is always interesting when you when you see kind of like that hierarchy of of, of who outranks who but anyway it's, it's such a great way to start the episode it also leaves it a little bit mysterious because um you know we're used to the enterprise being kind of a light and jovial place but this seems like ooh, it's pretty serious for cruising into a star base and so uh we see it's a little bit of a a little bit of a hook because it is all the recruits as well as the people that are uh, transitioning over for the employee exchange program. Um, and of course, we get a nice little throwback to Mordock and uh, Wesley Crusher uh, drops a nice little nod. I forgot that they were doing these little kind of nice touches even as early as even as early as the, the second season. It's a nice little throwback. Again, though, I was like, really? Is Mordock from before this episode? Like, I guess I need to go back and watch um, some more next generation because I feel like these these times and stuff I'm just I'm I'm just not quite really set on it. It was kind of an interesting thing how Wesley thought he was men. Was it okay? Wait, which one's which? Mordock was the the original one, from one. The original one, and Mendon was the new one. And and Wesley thought it was Mordock, and he's like, well, he's like, but you look exactly the same. And he's like, well, we've come from the same genetic grouping or something like that and and wesley's like how do you tell each other apart and he's like he sort of looks at him funny he's like we just do yeah which i thought was kind of, i thought it was kind of a interesting notion that benzites would have these like genetic groupings with in which they all look exactly the same it was kind of an interesting way to kind of explain why there was i mean same actor same makeup it's basically the same person but it's it's, it's a different else. character, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they could have, I guess they could have also used Mordark, but they explained that away just with the fact that he's like, there's no way that you could have already made your way up to the rank of Ensign. And then it's like, oh, have you never heard of Sylvia Tilly? Because she went, she became captain <laughs> after like a week. Oh, <laughs> well, no, wait, she was erased from the memory banks. Remember? Oh, right. I hate when that happens, when you, uh, when you just erase Control somebody entirely. But... her into oblivion. Oh well, you know, I, I guess it does happen. So, yeah, a little bit of uh, a little bit of a, a kind of a strange choice, but um, nonetheless, it's still kind of a cool. I always thought that those like little rebreathers that uh, they use are also kind of cool. So, I'm not really that upset to see not Mordock Men Mendor Mendor in this one. And then we switch like rather swiftly over to like Riker. He's on the move. He's like all over the place in this teaser. So he then jumps over to this weird like back to back buddy cop phaser training program, which is, I guess, like to, to make sure that you're, you know, well skilled and well versed in in, in shooting phasers. Um, I feel like this is another thing where I can I can envision other characters doing it. Um, and so. Uh, do you have any memory of, of other people like Worf and, and stuff using this, or is this just my memory? I believe there's only one other instance where we see this, and you're never going to guess which two characters participate. You'll be able to guess one, but never the other. So I actually think that I do know what it is, because I'm pretty sure there is an episode of Star Trek Discovery where... Oh, I mean I mean, spe I mean specifically the next generation one. Oh, okay. Because you know, you know what I'm talking about, right? The one with uh, Lorca and and uh, Ash Tyler in Discovery, and then everyone was like, "Wait, how do they have oh, a yeah, how yeah. do they have a holodeck program?" Um, that was the one that I was thinking in Next Generation. I'm assuming that it's Worf, but then I in my mind, I think it's like I think it's like Gates McFadden or something. Worf, Worf is correct. It's actually Guinan. Oh, okay, yes. You know what? I do kind of have a memory of that now. Because remember, it's the one where, like, so they're, like, practicing their phaser f shooting. And uh, I think Guinan says something like, uh, you know, I made a bet with the captain that I could make you laugh before you get, make lieutenant commander. 
And Worf is like having none of it. He's having a really bad day and he just was in no mood for jokes. It was actually pretty funny. Yeah, I do have a memory of that now. And it's just like you said, it's kind of one of those things where it's just so odd to see that uh, that it sticks out in your memory. Uh, so we get introduced also to the idea that, you know, the, the Klingons now, they're thinking that maybe it's a good idea that we do, uh, you know, a, a Klingon exchange. Riker is like, he's all up for this one. And um, did you think that that was uh, an interesting little character point? Because I actually really love this. Um, the idea that he wants to do it just for the sole fact that it's never been done before. That to me is kind of the first feeling that I'm like, oh, okay, this is definitely season one, season two of of Next Generation because that is kind of the Riker that I remember from the early days of, uh, of the show. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it's no surprise whatsoever that Riker is, is all up for this and really wants to do it for the sole purpose uh, or for the sole reason that it's never been done before. Like, this is... This is season one, season two, Riker, you know, full on full display here. He's very, this version of him is very, uh, very outgoing, very uh, gregarious, and he's uh, up for anything, you know, that kind of a character. Yes, and I and I do kind of feel like uh, his character changes quite a bit. He kind of eventually loses this kind of gusto and, and falls into kind of more of your kind of more like content with his role on the enterprise to the point where, you know, by the time you get to best of both worlds and you get Shelby coming in, I mean, she's almost straight out calling him on it. Isn't, isn't she like, she almost comes in and is like, yeah, you're just like, you know, you've, you had your opportunity and, and you've kind of let it go by. And so, you know, get out of the way, like, uh, you know, we're coming through kind of thing, which, uh, is yeah it's kind of nice to see this young and and willing Riker to be honest with you I was I was kind of excited to see it to be honest and uh I was all about uh kind of seeing where this adventure went All right so the uh, B plot though is very different from the A plot I mean we know that Riker's going to go off and and kind of have his Klingon adventure but then we have this kind of underlined plot where we see the exchange that the Enterprise has gone on, and they have uh, gotten this, I'm going to call him like a know-it-all, brainiac, what is it, Benzite? Benzonite? Benzite, yeah. Benzite. The thing is, is that I have a feeling that they wanted this character to be like super annoying and kind of like a Steve Urkel kind of like know-it-all, but I don't know that they necessarily were able to kind of get it to come across what are your thoughts on our kind of first introduction here where he's on the bridge and he's basically going around being saying, oh, you know, I can make this more efficient. I could do this better. I, I could uh, fix this. Uh, I thought that it was a kind of a weird way to show him. But then by the same token, I was kind of thinking that it wasn't as annoying as what I think that they were going for. He was very obnoxious. But he was very obnoxious in kind of not really a very abrasive kind of way. You know, he was, it's like he was telling you you were doing things wrong, but with a big smile on his face. Right. And maybe that's the difference. Yeah. And so it was kind of hard to like get really feel, like to dislike him. But it's like, but he's like, he goes to like Data's station, doesn't he? And at one point and he's like, oh, that's like an adequate layout. And then he sort of like moves on with like a smirk <laughs> on his face. And Yeah, then... it's like, where does he get off, you know? Yeah, exactly. And so I don't know. I didn't, I don't know what they were going for, whether they were going for like the super annoying or the super obnoxious, but it, it kind of fell like in the middle, which was kind of odd because I didn't really feel strongly about it one way or the other. Yeah, that's kind of what I felt. Like, I thought they were going to try to go for, like, this super really obnoxious thing, and then it didn't really land, so then it just kind of ends up being, like, he's just pointing out a lot of problems <laughs> with the ship that you kind of feel like, oh, maybe we should, like, maybe check this out, or maybe this guy, like, actually doesn't know what he's talking about. He's just insane or something. It, it, it's kind of left with I didn't know how to feel about it. Yeah, it was kind of the same. Like, I feel like if they'd made him, like, really abrasive, like, just walk up to someone's panel and be like, that panel's layout is terrible, right? Like, it would have, you would have been like, oh, this guy's a real jerk. 
yeah, I don't like this guy. I don't I don't want to deal with this guy. Yeah, exactly. But instead, you're kind of in the middle, and it's like, oh, uh, he's pointing out, in like he's he's pointing out inefficiencies, but he's like being really nice about it. So maybe, maybe yeah, he's being a bit of a jerk, but maybe he really cares. But I don't really know because he's sort of in the middle. Right, and then we're just kind of left not knowing at all what we're supposed to take away from it. I guess. Yeah, exactly. It was kind of it was it it, it got stuck in the mushy middle. I guess. Yeah. So I mean, I guess. The other thing about this, too, though, is that they've kind of set up this really exciting Klingon thing, and now you're dealing with this guy. And, I mean, there was a part of me as well that was just kind of like, yeah, I don't really care that much about what this guy's up to and and what this guy is is thinking and saying because it's really just kind of preventing and taking us away from what we inevitably want to get to, which, of course, is all the Klingon stuff with Riker. And that's me saying that, and I'm not a huge Klingon fan, so... Um, is that how you felt as well? Like every time this comes up, you're just kind of like thinking, uh, where's the Riker stuff? Well, it was relevant to the main story because he discovered it did the... come around. So, yes. I mean, you kind of, it, it, you did need it, but it was like, like the character itself, uh, Mendon, I was like, okay, yeah. Like could data have discovered this, like my, like this bacteria feeding on the hull? He could have, right? They didn't really need it, but I think they like what they were trying to do. I know what they were trying to do is they were trying to sort of show that pe- different people do things different ways, and there are cultural differences, and I and I get that. And they they I think because there was that part where he didn't want to report it until he'd completed a thorough analysis and had options laid out, illustrated that you know in a fairly effective way i thought but like the character itself i was just like eh, like let's move on here and i mean maybe it's best that we move on as well to, <laughs> uh Riker preparing for i mean you you pretty much nailed the head the nail right on the head there um i i, I agree with every single thing that you said and uh like you i'm kind of itching to get to the the klingon stuff and we get uh Riker kind of doing his preparations you know he's going to check in with Wharf and kind of get you know get some some tips and stuff uh, because that's obviously the the person that you'd want to know from but then we also get the most cheesiest tv trope that i absolutely can't stand which is when somebody in a tv show or in a movie is like very hungry and so then they order like everything from the kitchen and they've got like some big massive table with like 25 different dishes on it. And the person's like sitting there like grabbing a little bit from each thing. And I always just feel like nobody ever does that. Like you would never be able to eat all that food in like a million years. Like all that stuff is just going to go right into the garbage. But they do it in like every TV show, every sitcom. Um, Just drives me crazy. And in this case, we get uh, Riker with all of the different types of Klingon foods. Does that bother you too, Matt? Or am I just maybe... uh... Too much. I'm like all about food waste or something. I think sometimes it's funny. Like I remember there's a, a Mr. Bean episode where he goes to a hotel and he's he's like behind the this guy in line to get breakfast or whatever or brunch, and the guy takes like one of something and Mr. Bean takes like three, and the guy takes one of something else and Mr. Bean takes three, and then the guy takes like two of <laughs> something and Mr. Bean takes six, and then he puts one back and it, like in in that instance it was pretty funny because. You know, he's basically trying to one-up the guy in front of him in line. And they're making it very obvious. But, yeah, it's kind of... I, I feel kind of the same way when, you, when you're, when you you know, see a scene on television and the, the character's got, like, you know, enough food for, like, eight people because they haven't eaten in two days or something like that. And you're like, it doesn't matter how hungry you are. You're not going to eat all that. Yeah, and I definitely do feel like... I mean, in Star Trek, maybe it's not quite as bad because theoretically you would be able to take this food that's gone uneaten and then just put it back into like the replimat, right? So, I mean, I guess that is one saving grace of Star Trek. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's not going to be like wasted in the same way. It's just going to be like, you know, broken down and reconstituted into something else for someone else to eat. You know what? I think that maybe the the takeaway here is that... uh, the 10 forward crew needs to put together like a Klingon sampler pack. Yeah. Or like a, a you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, when you go to like a seafood restaurant, they've got like the, the platter the cat, or what do they call it? The seafood platter. I think that that's like, they need like a Klingon platter. So, so when anybody goes on exchange, they'll be able to, uh, 
just be like, yeah, I'll take the Klingon platter. I'm getting ready for my exchange. Yeah, my favorite local Mexican restaurant, they'll, they have a mixed tacos option on their menu where it's like, it literally says in the menu, like, you know, can't decide. Well, just get one of each. Just exactly. get this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they need a Klingon version at 10 Yes, the 10 forward, the sure. 10 forward uh, you know, culinary staff need to get on that. Because who doesn't want a Klingon sampler to start their day? Well, you know what? It's kind of definitely a when in Rome scenario, right? If you were, uh, you know, if you're going to go over and do it, you maybe would want to give it a try. So, I mean, I, I do kind of feel like, you know, there there should be more adventuresome people uh, in the Star Trek world that would be interested in kind of like trying some of this stuff. Because, I mean, like Ractagino ended up being like one of the most popular drinks in... Uh, in Deep Space Nine, which obviously is like Klingon coffee, right? So who knows? Maybe this would be, uh, you know, some people's favorite food if they actually had to try it. Yeah, they need more adventurous eaters than like Deanna Troy, who's always eating like chocolate ice cream. Exactly. And actually, now that I think about it, I want to say that on Deep Space Nine, there was a period of time where they did introduce a Klingon restaurant. Is that true or not? Am I mistaken? Yeah, there was definitely a Klingon restaurant on uh, the promenade on Deep Space Nine. In fact, I think we even see the Klingon who runs it in one episode, and he's, like, playing this sort of accordion-looking thing and, like, serenading whoever was in there. And he was really... He uh, he was quite a hefty uh, fellow, as as every good chef is, you know? Exactly. He's a (laughs) chef, so he's got to be a big fat guy. You know what? I think that maybe that just goes to show you right there that uh, the uh, the people that live on Deep Space Nine, they're just a little bit more adventuresome all around than, uh, you know, the, the snobbery that exists on the Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, they're all like Dr. Like, you know, season one, Dr. Bashir, just exactly. eager to experience life on the frontier. Exactly. Uh, just to kind of uh, just to kind of change gears slightly. The other thing that I would say about this episode is that. Man, the music is just excellent. There's kind of this weird tingly, like it's almost like bells or something that they use whenever they are like talking about the Klingons or the Klingons are afoot. And uh, man, did they ever do a good job with that. The music I thought at the very beginning too was was excellent when uh, there was kind of like we weren't really sure what was going on and what was about to happen. Um, just kind of like an overall general comment. I thought the music was quite good. What were your thoughts on the music, or did you just not even notice it at all? Oh, I totally noticed it, and you're right. They do have that kind of, especially in uh, like the original series movies and also in the early seasons of Next Generation, they do have that weird, you described it as tingly, tingly music. And I think the sound that you're thinking of is um, if you take a piece like a coin or a metal something and scrape it on a gong you get that shing kind of sound yes and they exactly like to like use that. that with the with the klingons and i think that's the, the the main and they and it it's a very ominous kind of mysterious kind of style of of music that they always play when the klingons are around and yeah it was definitely noticeable in this this episode for sure the other thing i would add is um i love these old klingon sets from like yes. the first three first four seasons of next generation i mean even into season five with redemption the sort of industrial kind of look to it and it's really dark and it has a lot of like sort of red red-ish lighting i i always really love those those old klingon sets agree yeah i definitely um they, they may be a little bit you know kind of like slapped together but I mean, I think they darken them up. And like you said, they put like the red backdrops and then it makes it very clear. Okay, we're on the Klingon ship now. Okay, we're on the Enterprise. And there's that difference that's very a stark contrast. So yeah, I agree. The uh, the sets were really good in this one as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it makes sense though because they're like, they're, they're Klingon ships. They're warriors. They're not going to look nice. They don't really, they're not really going to care. They just need to be functional. And I feel like sort of giving it that um, industrial kind of look to it is fitting and it really works like i i just love those old the bridge and um the one thing about this particular bridge and i don't know if it's in the other ones too is there's like those those like diagonal conduits that sort of go mm-hmm. from the captain's chair that you have to like duck underneath to go around or get pushed over top of <laughs> or, or get thrown over top of yeah even those little thing like even that it's it's kind of a subtle thing but it almost feels like 
it's almost like a, a submission thing where like if you want to talk to the captain you got to like duck underneath right. and go around this thing and it's sort of like a respect thing i i it, it, i i just love those these klingon sets for all those little things a nice little touch for sure the other thing that I didn't really remember about this episode, if I'm being completely honest, is that I forgot that during the exchange program, you actually keep your rank. So that means that uh, I guess the first officer now has been kind of moved somewhere else on the Klingon ship, and they've brought in Riker, and he is now the new acting first officer. Did you remember that this was part of it? Um and uh, what are your thoughts on the idea of like, I mean, it's one thing to go and basically get the tour and, and to kind of see how things are going. It's an entirely other thing to go in and basically have to be the first officer on the ship. I thought that that was a, a big ask and uh, was something that was, you know, ki kind of an interesting way of doing it for sure. Yeah, I remember he was the first officer still. And I also remember that there was like the next next in line was sort of like looking over his shoulder the whole time. So, uh, yeah, it is interesting that he gets to continue to be the first officer. And the only, as far as explaining away the, the Pox first officer, I assume that he died because it's a Klingon ship. But who knows? Yeah, it, it added an interesting kind of dynamic because Riker then had to figure out how to be a first officer on a Klingon ship, which is a little bit different than on right. Enterprise. Yeah, I just thought it was kind of a neat dynamic. And of course, like you said, we, there's the, the, you know, the underlings that are not really kind of falling into me. Of course, we get the the initial bit where uh, we are, you know, he has to kind of show his worth and, and he's got to like slap the one guy around a little bit to, to exert dominance and stuff, which was all really good. And I thought that it was very exciting and, and everything else. So I thought it was very Riker. Cause like the guy's like basically challenging him and he sort of looks and he kind of looks away and then he turns around and like kicks the guy. Yeah, in the Exactly. <laughs> it was kind of, it was nice that there was a little bit of personality kind of in, injected into that. Scene. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, the way that they, they, they kind of integrated him in, but it still, he kind of had, at least some respect I thought was really good. The only thing that I didn't really kind of get was he took all that time. Like when he was on the enterprise, he was like snarfing down all the food and getting ready and everything else. But then when he actually gets there, it kind of felt to me like he didn't really, like he, he had kind of like blown out his appetite. Now he's like saying, Oh yeah, I'm not really hungry. I'm all full. Like what? I didn't really get that. Why did he eat so much going in, and then he didn't have any room left when he actually got there? That's a good question. Maybe it was just so good on the Enterprise, he just couldn't help himself. He just kept eating. You know, like the like the like Homer Simpson with the donut machine. And there's also <laughs> maybe some implications that, like, even on the Enterprise, they had kind of done it in such a way where. Like it wasn't actually like moving, whereas when he was on the Klingon ship, like the God stuff was all actually still alive, and that was kind of maybe the thing that had thrown him off. Well, of course, Gok is best eaten exactly, alive. but I feel like that was kind of news to him <laughs> when when he was kind of looking at it. So yes, definitely, he he was yeah. not expecting. So I definitely thought that that was kind of a nice touch as well. This, I mean, we might as well just kind of, let's get over all the, the Klingon stuff right now, just with, with respect to like when he's there. There, there. I guess at this point, we still don't know a lot about Klingons, I'm assuming, because there's this whole scene where, you know, he says, oh, I didn't even know that Klingons could laugh and stuff, which I was kind of feeling like this must be a lot earlier than I originally had thought, because, I mean, I know that Worf laughs a little bit later on and stuff. Um, and so I thought that that was kind of an interesting take. And I also thought that it was kind of, they want us to, to have that feeling like we're learning a lot about the, the Klingon culture and stuff, but they don't want to give too much away. Was that kind of the feeling that you had? That's interesting about not wanting to give too much away. I think what they were trying to do is show that the Klingons are not just these stolid, boring, all-business warriors. You know, they have fun. They goof around like humans do. And I thought that this scene in the mess hall actually was very good at that. Um, it was very bad in some other ways. I don't know if you want to get into that. Oh, yeah, that by, all, by all means. If, if there's something you don't like, then <laughs> sing it. Yeah, well, I mean, the the whole thing about, like, I, I guess kind of the sort of 
do you want to call it flirting? Oh, those two yeah. women are like sizing him up, and the and Clag is like sitting next to him and is like, "Gee, I don't know if you can handle them." They're trying to figure out like if you'll be able to en- endure what they're you know gonna do to yeah. you. And and there's that scene where Riker's like sort of looks at them and looks at Clag, and he's like, "One or both." And I was just like, <laughs> "Oh, Gene, why did you have to rewrite this scene? Like, just leave it. Come on." And then there's also the part where Clagg is like, well, if uh, the food is too strong for you, maybe one of the women can breastfeed <laughs> yeah. you. And I was like, oh, oh my God, who, like, just Gene, just leave this one episode alone, please, for the love of God. Like, that was just, I wrote cringe overload yeah. in my notes. Like, it was just so bad and, like, so, it, like, it's, like, you cannot do that now. Uh, nowadays, like, that I is... feel like it would not fly, no, but. No, no. But, but like, that part, it was really just cringe. Like, I could not handle that. I did not. I was very disappointed to have to watch that. But then it continues on, and, and you know, the, Riker makes note of the fact that, oh, Klingons have a sense of humor. I wasn't really expecting that. And Clagg sort of said the same thing about yes. Riker. And then they have that, that conversation about, you know, family relationships and how you know, Clagg has kind of a strained relationship with his father and Riker, as we find out later on, has a different kind of strained relationship with his father. And there's a nice a nice little bit where we kind of see some of the commonalities and, and they don't seem quite so alien anymore, which I thought was actually really a really good part of that scene. Yeah, I, I thought all that stuff was really good. And I thought that it was very... That that was right when it was getting kind of the the best stuff. Just one last quick thing. You mentioned early on, like this is really early on for seeing Klingons. I I believe this is the first time we see Klingons aside from Worf in Next Generation. Just to, oh, okay. just to clarify, I think I'm at like ninety nine percent. Yeah, I I wouldn't be surprised just because I can't. There's no episodes that come to my mind. So yeah, and I mean I, they do a really good job. I feel like they do a great job. Really, if this is the first time, this is kind of like re-establishing them after the movies and after the original series right so i think that that's really well done yeah i think it's like the, the they're trying to give them a little more depth because like in the original series they were basically just like mustache twirling villains that are just gonna you know kill everything but now we're we're trying we're getting a little bit more uh depth to the to the aliens to the klingons yeah which is all very good and now i mean of course they kind of spoil it or at least they spoil it for me we get uh, this, the bacteria is on the side of the Enterprise, and they figure it out straight away. There's a little bit with, you know, lack of communication like we talked about. But when the Klingons find out that they've got the bacteria, they immediately assume it's an attack and they're going to retaliate. This, to me, kind of sat slightly odd because, I, I mean, Klingons are supposed to be honorable, but they don't seem like they should be this irrational. And uh, Riker was kind of bringing up lots of good points about how, like, this doesn't even make any sense, guys. Like, there's no reason why they would do this, but they get it stuck in their mind that they're that this is attack and they're going to go out after them. I thought that this made the Klingons... It's kind of... They, they, they take three steps forward with the Klingons, and this felt like it was two steps back. I felt that this was kind of not as good as it could have been. Um, and I felt like their, like, unwillingness to to look at things or to, to even just discuss it kind of took away some of the, the, the plus that we had just had. Well, was, the captain in particular to me, uh, Cargon, that was, that was, it was disappointing, you know, cause we get this really good scene with, I thought Clagg was really good because Clagg sort of struck me as kind of a bit more of an inquisitive, curious kind of Klingon. Whereas Cargon to me seemed more like TOS Klingon. Which was unfortunate because I think Clagg is a bit more of an interesting kind of Klingon versus Cargon, who is just like looking, like really, really looking with a microscope for an excuse to go and attack the Enterprise. Yes, that's exactly what I felt. And he gets it. It's like, and he's basing it on the fact that the Enterprise did like an intensive scan on this thing. That's essentially his reasoning. Like, oh, they did an intensive scan. It must be an attack. We're gonna go get him. And it, it, you're right. It's very irrational, and it doesn't really, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And it just screams of like a, a an aggressive alien looking for an excuse to to go and cause some shenanigans. 
Yeah, I I felt like it was kind of a step back for the episode, to be honest. And um, unfortunately so, because I feel like up until now, it, it has been kind of cruising along very, very nicely. But it does kind of bring into an, an interesting kind of dilemma, which I think is what they were going for in the end anyway, was that it was going to basically put Riker into a scenario where they he basically has the oath of both ships and he goes into very clear uh explanation that he will you know he will fulfill his duty as the second officer but also he can't go against his starfleet beliefs which um is is definitely interesting it turns out to be slightly a ruse but um i I thought that it was kind of good the only thing is is why would they even trust him to continue to be the second officer if they think it's an attack wouldn't that also mean that they would should assume that He's like undercover or something. Throw him in the brig. Well, didn't Cargon mention that? And then Riker like somehow proved to his satisfaction that he wasn't going to sell them out. Yeah, it's kind of very kind of silly. Yeah, it's kind of briefly glossed over just the fact that, you know, he kind of talks his way out of it. But I just don't know that. I don't know. I just don't know that it's it's necessarily kind of believable, especially because they're so insistent about uh the about everything that they're they're after us they're they're trying to attack us this is like a biological attack i don't know that they would i don't know i just don't know that they would would do it i I think that it's it just doesn't fit with what i what i'm kind of seeing the characters doing you know well yeah cargon i based on cargon's reaction to the the bacteria i would have expected him to throw riker in the brig like immediately And yeah, so it was a little bit odd that he was like, you know, Riker basically just tells him, I'm not going to sell you guys out. And he's like, okay. Okay, well, if you say so. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I guess it all boils down to this, uh, you know, this big showdown and Riker kind of tricks them into going within uh, transporter range and dropping the cloak. And he also just has like the James Bond special gadget that Worf had given him. Which is the immediate, uh, immediate like uh, beam out, right? Uh, so he gives, he pulls it out of his boot at the last second, <laughs> and the guy's like, "Oh, give me that!" And then he gets beamed away. Um, which then, of course, because the captain's no longer there, now Riker's in command. All the Klingons just are like, "Oh, okay. Well, I guess you're in command now, so we're gonna follow it." And uh, we get kind of our conclusion to the episode, which. Um, I mean, depending on how you kind of personally feel about this trickery, uh, it, it is kind of, of an interesting way to, to wrap it up and to change the mind of a, a person who is, is very much not going to change his mind, right? It was really clever. You know, he tells him, like, wait till, you know, don't don't fire until, what was it, like 40,000 kilometers. Like, the Enterprise vo- is vulnerable if you get close enough. And Cargon's just like, yep, okay, don't shoot till we're within. And that happens to be transporter range. And, and so, yeah, it was, it, I thought Riker's sort of uh, way out of that dilemma was, ex- was very clever. I also was a little puzzled, though. When Cargon got beamed aboard, the Enterprise. He still had his disruptor. Yeah, that was kind of strange, wasn't it? Yeah, don't you think they would be able to like either remove it or at least like deactivate it so that it wouldn't work? Because I feel like they've done that before. And yeah, because there's that he's you know he's all outraged about being beamed aboard the ship, and he's about to like turn to shoot at the captain, and luckily Worf was able to get him first. But I thought it was a little odd that they would beam him aboard with his disruptor uh, still fully functional. Yeah, it was it was a little bit like just kind of like plot sensitive kind of thing. I guess they wanted to use the like the you know they wanted to use the special effects. I guess yes, exactly. They wanted to have one last kind of action beat, um, and then the other thing I didn't really get about this was that Riker then goes on to the he goes on to the communicator and he's like Enterprise, uh, you know. Oh, he demanded them to surrender. Demand surrender, and then Picard's like. Okay, we surrender, and they both kind of smile. What did I miss a, something, or was that to kind of try to to show that he was? I, I don't know. I didn't get that part. I think they were just—he was trying to save face so that the Klingons wouldn't look silly. So that in the record books, it would show that the Enterprise had surrendered. Kind yeah, of thing. I think that's really all it was. So they wouldn't look weak, you know, when their superiors read the report, something like that. I don't know. That's what I would take from it. Okay, well, I mean, 
I, I guess I can take that and, and I can go with that. Is there anything else to this episode? Because, I mean, it is definitely, I felt anyway, a, a very quick, uh, it's a quick watch. It's, it's, it's quick to the point. I, I thought that they, they did a very good job of kind of getting in and out. They didn't kind of, you know, spend too long on any one particular thing. And so what are your thoughts? Just kind of like, uh, is there anything else you want to touch on? No, no, I think uh, we've ra- we've done a pretty good uh, job on this one. There's, it's a very straightforward episode, and I don't think they did much to really overcomplicate it all that much. So I don't know, not really much else to to talk about here. All right, Matt. I guess uh, there's nothing else to do but to delve into the uh, the cast and the characters as we typically do. Um, we've got some. Uh, We've got some good ones, I think, and we've got some middle-of-the-road ones. Um, first off, let's talk about Mendon, which is played by uh, John Putch. And uh, this, of course, is the Benzite who comes in and eventually saves the day, kind of, because he is the one who also figures out that the certain beam will get rid of the bacteria. Well, we talked about it a little bit. I, I found him to be, like, politely obnoxious. Walking around, telling everyone like, "Oh yeah, your panel's pretty nice, but maybe you could do this instead." And he's doing it with a smile, and he's all nice about it. Just an interesting little piece about the actor. Um, and this actually was a quote that I found from the actor himself: is that he was like all thrilled to come back, but he le- he learned that the reason they wanted to have him back was because they went to the trouble of making that big elaborate <laughs> benzite makeup, and they w- wanted to use it again. So. It wasn't so much that the actor that was good. Like, great. I mean, I didn't, I didn't think he was bad by any means, but I guess they just wanted to get a little bit more mileage out of that. That's pretty funny, yeah. <laughs> that makeup. So they, so they had him back a second time. But hey, you know, you gotta make the, you gotta get your money. That's true, and right. I think he did do enough of a difference just from Mordock and Mendon that it actually did kind of work out pretty well. Let's move on to uh, Christopher Collins, which uh, he played Cargan. Uh, what were your thoughts on him, and did you have anything? Um, to mention about that uh just that he was a bit too much of a tos kind of cling on and we talked about this as well that he was more of the i want to just go and cut like you know start a battle for no reason you know that kind of cling on and um interesting thing about christopher collins is he was in one he was uh, actually one of the pack leads in uh, the samaritan snare yeah he had had a pretty wide uh kind of resume when I was looking at him he was in a ton of things because he kind of did seem a little bit familiar for some reason or another and so when I looked him up I was like oh yeah wow this guy's been in a lot of different stuff and the next person so Brian Thompson as Clegg this has to be one of the most recognizable faces and as soon as I saw him I immediately knew where this actor was from did this person jump out to you as well or is it just me are you talking like others like non-star trek non-star trek i don't know if i can place him in anything else but he's been in a couple other star trek uh he has been in a couple other star treks and every time i see him he was he played the uh like the unnamed alien hitman in x-files so there was like this hitman guy who was from another planet or whatever and he he like bled green blood and stuff and he has just such a recognizable face especially when he kind of like puts it on a bit menacing there was like a lot of scenes where you just see him like walking around and it was like oh no you know this is like and so as soon as i saw him i was like oh yeah that's definitely the uh, the assassin alien from from X Files, which was was pretty cool to see him. I thought that Clegg was actually probably the best guest character that we had this week. Um, he was the most well rounded and and the one that kind of seemed like they had actually maybe learned something from the uh, from the from the whole experience and stuff. I, I thought that it was really well done. Yeah, like I mentioned, I thought Clegg's was a much more interesting and a much uh, sort of more new age. Klingon, I guess, if you want to call it that. Sort of getting away from the, the original series stereotype of, like, just bloodthirsty warrior that's just looking for any excuse whatsoever to, to fight. He seemed a lot more inter- curious and, and genuinely interested in, like, learning about humans, which I, th- I thought was a nice... Uh, I thought was a little bit more of an interesting type of Klingon. And 
Brian Thompson, you mentioned that he's in the X-Files a lot. He has a really distinctive voice, I think, as well. You mentioned the face. I think his vo- he has this really sort of deep baritone kind of voice, which I which, for me, I, I feel like sometimes I recognize the voices more than the faces, which may seem kind of strange, but I guess because I'm musically inclined, maybe that's the reason why. Um, but yeah, he's also the the big the, the probably his biggest Star Trek role is he was the admiral the Romulan admiral in that three part Enterprise episode where the there was that Romulan sort of drone ship causing all this trouble. Um, but he was in a handful of other uh, episodes as well. He was in a <clears throat> a Deep Space Nine episode where he had this like weird red makeup, and then what was the other one? He was in Generations. It's like a Klingon. Mm-hmm. He was I a Klingon like uh, like just bridge officer in Generations as well. Yeah, he he plays a very good villain, that's for sure. And then uh, last but not least, uh, Cole Meany plays Miles O'Brien here, and he doesn't have a whole lot to do, but he does get a couple of funny lines, especially when he's sending off Riker, and he just mentions that. Uh, you know, I'd be afraid to do it. And then he kind of beams them out. I thought that was really good as well. Uh, just to kind of wrap up some quick production notes, some of these we've already touched on. This is an episode with no Deanna Troy and no LeVar Burton playing LaForge. Uh, Mordock, they reused the prosthetic, which we already talked about. Um, interestingly enough, if anybody is hosting a <laughs> Star Trek or Klingon themed party, the gaw was actually just long brown noodles that they filmed in kind of like dark light to make it look like worms or what have you. And the Rodok blood pie was actually just a pumpkin pie with turnip embedded in it, and then they dyed the whole thing red. So there you go. If you ever need to uh, put together a Klingon Halloween party, now you know how to make uh, at least two of the dishes. My, one, of, one of my friends and I, we would every so often, we would, uh, when we were younger, We'd make Mr. Noodles, and he was. We were both big Star Trek fans, and you would just add a bunch of like red food coloring to make it look like there was kind of like I don't know, like <laughs> blood or whatever in it. And he'd be like, "Yeah, let's have gawk for lunch." <laughs> <laughs> but we never, we never made Rokeg blood pie though. No, that could be, yeah, that could be like uh, this Thanksgiving. You can show up to your family's <laughs> place with like a nice uh, blood pie. Absolutely. See how many people will eat it. Now, this is also the first appearance of Klingon blood wine, which I think, you know, becomes a, a staple throughout a bunch of the series. And this is kind of the first introduction to that, which is really cool. Um, you mentioned uh, Kern would later serve on the Enterprise with the uh, exchange program, as well as Shadan in the ep- episode Drumhead. So full uh, trivia points to Matt for that one. Um, also, uh, O'Brien mentions that he would be too afraid to serve on a Klingon ship, but then... Obviously, he's a bit more seasoned by the time Deep Space Nine rolls around because he later volunteers to serve on the Rotan. So uh, I guess that he must have gotten over that or uh, he must have gotten used to Klingons over the years. So uh, that's all the production notes. And Matt, why don't you give us your favorite scene and your favorite quote? Yeah, the, there weren't really a lot of one-liners or anything in this. Um, I, I think the most... The most memorable scene for both good and bad reasons is the the scene in the mess hall, which we talked about. You know, it was cringy for a while when they're talking about the Klingon women, and then it gets to be a little bit more interesting and and deep when they start talking about sense of humors and um, relationships with families and and so on. Um, I think maybe, I guess, for best line, maybe I'll just go with... uh, simple one where Riker says, you know, he's about to eat the gawk and he says, oh, it's still moving. And Clagg says, gawk is always best when served live. So I'll go with that. Uh, okay. And uh, why don't you give us your overall take as well as your, as well as your rating out of five bowls of gawk. Oh, very fitting. Five bowls of gawk will be our uh, score for the week, for the, uh, for this podcast. This one actually, I think is pretty good. Uh, as, I mean, if you look at it in terms of like the first two seasons in Next Generation, which at times were very bad, uh, this one actually sticks out to me as being one of the better ones. And we've actually been fairly lucky so far. And with our first, you know, our season one and two episodes of Next Generations that we reviewed, we generally tend to dig out the ones that are actually not bad. Uh, I, I like that they tried to add a little depth to the Klingons in this episode, making them a little bit more or a little bit less like just bloodthirsty warriors. They, they do make them seem a little bit, or at least make some of them seem a little bit curious and inquisitive and, 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 you know, wanting to learn about humans and, and so on. And I like that they came up with this exchange program to kind of facilitate that. Cause I mean, otherwise how would they really learn more about humans unless they had one sort of walking around their ships? So 
I'm kind of torn. I, I mean, I do want to give this episode a passing grade. So I think um, I'm probably going to go three bowls of Gawk out of five. I mean, there were parts of it that were really bad and the whole B story wasn't that great. But I think the good, the idea was really good. And I thought that they sort of pulled that off, that part of the episode off pretty well, even though there there was sort of that one stereotypical TOS Klingon, but um, yeah, I'm gonna go three bowls of Gawk out of five. It was it was it was pretty good, and especially for an early Next Generation episode. Yeah, and I'm right there with you. I feel like this one's just kind of like middle of the pack. It's not great. It's not bad. It's a great idea, and I mean, there's lots of good stuff here. Um, I think I'm also gonna go with the I'm gonna go with the uh, mess hall scene as well, and I guess I can't go with the same line as you, so I'll, I'm actually going to go with the breastfeeding line, just because I actually laughed out loud, and I was shocked <laughs> that they went there, so that'll be my favorite line, and I mean, the parts that we liked and didn't like, we've, we've already been over, but I, I do think that this is a solid episode, and it definitely, um, the pacing was right on, the music was right on, there's a lot good here, but I'm still with you. I'm going to go with three bowls out of five ga, especially since you know me, I don't like to order more food than I can eat. It just drives me crazy when I see that in a sitcom, so I'm only going to get as much as I can eat, and three bowls is about as much as I can eat. All right, that is the red alert siren, and of course, that means it is time for another fresh episode. Thankfully, it's not me, so I am going to dig into the Captain Riker's hat of episodes here, and I'm going to pull out a nice, fresh episode for Matt. As fresh as our gah. Yes, fresh <laughs> as gah. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be very envious this week, at least, so... Uh, uh, this is episode number 14 from season two of Deep Space Nine. Uh, and the episode is Whispers, 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 Whispers. So Matt's going to have 60 seconds to tell us as much as he can remember about the episode Whispers. And then uh, we will look at that episode two weeks from now when we uh, reconvene. So. Uh, if you are playing along at home, you should give it a try. You should uh, write down what you can remember from this episode. Do you have Do you have any fond memories? Do you remember the? I don't know, do you remember this one at all? Even I just watched it, so I actually do remember. But does Matt? How was the last time Matt watched season two? Three or four years ago, at least. Matt, are you ready? I I'm gonna probably botch this one and kick myself afterwards. I feel like I should know it, but I, I don't think I do. All right. Well, I'm going to put 60 seconds on the clock, and you're going to have to come up with as much as you can. Sometimes if, you're, if you don't know it, you got to be clever. So uh, here we go. 60 seconds on the clock, and Matt, time is yours. Go. Okay. I feel like this is an O'Brien episode um, where he has to deal with, like, these sort of visions that are really vague. And he has to, like, try to make sense with them. And I feel like something bad is going to happen if he doesn't. So he's got to, like, you know, he's got these sort of vague visions of, like, this bad thing that's going to happen either to the station or, like, to Bajor. And he's, but it doesn't really, there's, like, details missing and he can't really figure out what's exactly is going to happen or what he has to do to fix it. And... I feel like there's like Bajoran like religious figures involved and they have to like help him make sense of it. And in the end, like at the last minute, you know, he's able to figure out, okay, here's what I got to do. Here's how I'm going to save the day. And these Bajoran like monks like help him. And um, that's, I think, all I can think of. Well, you're out of time anyway. So yeah, you know what? That's actually pretty good. I, uh, I'm actually quite impressed. You've got quite a bit. This is the classic one where, uh, he gets replaced and then he's oh. going back and he's, he figures it's a conspiracy all against him and everybody's oh. acting so strangely. And then he like opens up that door and there's the, there's him in there. And it's turned out that, that he's been cloned. Is this, is this the one where Keiko's like, no, it can't be him because he's ordered coffee and he never drinks coffee in the afternoon. Yeah. And then, and then at the end, he actually does, and she's like, I don't. Oh, think I guess you... I didn't know. 
okay, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, it, it's actually a really great episode, and I just watched it recently, but I am not going to complain about watching this one again uh, because it it is quite good. So we will sign off, and uh, it's very, very hot where I'm living right now, so I'm probably going to go down into the basement with a nice big cold glass of water, and I'm going to curl up and watch a little bit of Whisper. And we will see you in two weeks' time to uh, talk about that one. So long, folks. This show is brought to you by Sweet Media. Computer. List other available Sweet Media programs. Loading Sweet Preview Program 4, Blast Shield, a Star Trek Lower Decks podcast. I think we all thought Ransom was going to go into that fight scene thinking that it was game over before it even started and he was going to lose. But I think the moment he rips his uniform off, (laughs) which is hard anyway to rip a shirt, but to rip an actual like jacket like that, Mm. pretty impressive. And then he had like about, I don't know, I think it's like 62 abs. He just looked ripped. And then he was just like, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I was just going to say, it was the way that he also narrated it. It was just perfect. It was great. Ransom definitely went to the school of Kirk Fu. Ransom Fu, maybe we should be calling it. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, The Janeway, a Star Trek Voyager podcast. I don't know what the director, which I think was David Livingstone, I think, was thinking here, but they basically did a montage of them running around the ship. And it's just like, ugh. It was very rocky. It was. Dun, I expected Eye of the Tiger dun, dun, to be dun, playing. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> dun, 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 Especially when Shell picks up the water from the table and is drinking it. <laughs> Computer, deactivate Holosuite.